0: Well, welcome to church, eh? <laughs> the last time I was up here, I had a camera there and I had nobody. <laughs> I don't know what's better. <laughs> um, please take your seats. It is an honour and a privilege to be up here tonight. Um, <clears throat> gee whiz, I might struggle to get through this, but here we go. I just, I think it's so much more special in some weird way that I'm up here on Hart for His House Sunday. Um, this house has housed me <laughs> as a local church for the best part of 26 years, 26, yep. Um, I'm not very good with timelines, so forgive me if I get timelines wrong later. <laughs> but, and this house um, has... Imparted not just into me and my wife but is imparted into all my children <laughs> and that's just a gift to have a local church that you can call your home church that your whole family gets touched by your whole family gets challenged by your whole family gets discipled by I mean it's just it's it's a gift and you know a personal word of gratitude I don't think in fact I I know that I wouldn't be here before you this tonight sharing a word if it wasn't for Pastor Jack and Carol and the entire pastoral team really the encouragement the motivation the uplifting the shouldering and weathering storms together the going through tough times and helping me to stretch beyond my what i think my capacity is and pushing me to get out of my comfort zone and i'll tell you church this is one of those out of my comfort zone (laughs) moments (laughs) but i believe that i've got a word tonight and uh i want to share it (laughs) um You know what, let's just pray. Father God, open our eyes, open our ears to what it is that you want to say tonight. Lord God, we just come before you now with humility and we just ask that you speak to us. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Heartfree's house, sub-theme, generations. I am a son I am a brother. What's the next one? A father. <laughs> oh, sometimes I forget that one. And um, no, no. And I'm also now lucky to be a grandfather, and with another one on the way. And I think it's interesting when you when you think of generations. I mean, I I looked up on Google, and Google says the average generation is 25 years. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's an accurate mathematical thing for me, but I just actually look at my father and my mum in the front row <laughs> that came out tonight. It's really cool that you're here. And um, he celebrated his 84th birthday yesterday. So, <laughs> And funnily enough, talking about my dad, when I was growing up, when I was just a little boy at home, um, my dad would often share stories um, at the dinner table or well, pretty much anywhere, actually, about times when he used to go out west, nor- um, northern, northwestern New South Wales and southwestern New South Wales, and he was a jackaroo. He used to get on the back of a horse. He used to do the boundary checks and check all the fences and a myriad of other things. And as a young boy, I used to listen to those stories, and I used to go, man, they're amazing. I wish I could do that, you know. Those stories were so captivating and I could tell that he loved every minute of it, you know. And about seven years ago, I think, I had the privilege of doing a road trip with Dad and going out west to all the properties that he'd been on with Dad right next to me, pointing out the shearing shed and pointing out the, the, the horse yards and, oh, that was where the cook did this and that's where the, the bloke dropped that. And, you know, like it was just an incredible... Thing. But as we went on that trip, my little boy memories of this being a major part of my dad's life suddenly I realised that was only about three and a bit years, <laughs> and I come back and I go, oh, that was that, like you know, you know what I mean? Like stories are good, you know, and stories are impacting. You know, on Tuesday night um, we we've heard it mentioned this morning as well, but Man Church was on, and Pastor Sue did an interview with um, Reg. One of, the, one of the earliest members of our church. Um, and what was really interesting to me is I learnt something in that interview that I didn't know before, which is that the vision or, or the mission statement, if you will, back then was that this church would be a lighthouse, a lighthouse to the city, a lighthouse to the city of Penrith. And I just thought, how cool. And I want to look tonight at someone that wrote a little bit about light, he he wrote a little bit in the in the scriptures um, about about being light about walking in the light and and as I started to prepare I started thinking well how do, how do I be light I don't know so I looked to John and it's funny in um, where have we got John 8 verse 12 so I'm not used to this it might come up on the screen um <laughs> It says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not work, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I thought, man, that's a, that's a cool verse. I've got to share that one. But then he goes on in, in John twelve forty six. He says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And I thought, uh, that's another cool verse. It's like Jesus is light, Jesus is life, Jesus is light and Jesus is love and they're core themes in John's writings both in the Gospel of John but what I want to focus on tonight is actually the first letter that John wrote in 1 John. So 1 John is like towards the back of the Bible and it's only a little book and if you sort of flick too quick you'll miss it. But when I take a look at that, I just get, I'm sort of mesmerised because my understanding is that it's about 60 years later that he's writing this letter. So he's been one of the disciples, he's walked along with Jesus, walked every day, he shared moments with Jesus and he gets to walk and talk and understand and learn and be ministered to and see miracles and he's got this amazing amount of stories. He's got this amazing amount of miracles that he can talk about. He's got these amazing amount of teachings that Jesus did. But in 1 John, he seems to just repeat and repeat and repeat a core theme. So I want to take a bit of a closer look at that. And before I do, I just want to explain to you that when I when I read scripture what I do is I try really hard to immerse myself in the moment. I try really hard to let the things come out of the page, to understand you know, things like if it was daytime, nighttime, if it was hot, if it was cold, if it was dry and desert, if it was wilderness, if it was rivers, it was flooding, if it was raining, if it was sunny. I try to get the, the moment of the people, how many people, the crowds. the, the, the I, I try to imagine myself there as best I can because it comes alive for me. And so, John's got stories. It's 60 years later. He's the last of the disciples. All his mates, all the disciples that he did life with for three years, they dropped everything. They gave everything up to walk with Jesus. They had an understanding of who he was, but they didn't really know. Not at that point. And he's got these stories and he's, as I imagine as he walks through the town of Ephesus where this book is written and he sees the current climate of the day, he sees the political unrest, he sees the social injustices, he sees the chaos that's starting to happen and he notices even within the church there's stuff going on and he feels compelled to write and I just... I think as he walks through those streets, I imagine some of the questions that he must get asked. I imagine that someone must come up to him and go, hey, remember that time in the boat? You know when the storm was going? Like, how big was that storm? Like, were the waves coming right over the boat? Was the boat filling up with water? Did you really think you were going to capsize? I mean, were you really scared? And when you woke Jesus up, I mean, was he angry at you? Was he really asleep? How can you be asleep in a storm? Come on. Like, I try to imagine these questions. I try to imagine, like... When, when the demon-possessed guy came down from the tombs when you'd gone across the other side of the lake, you know, like, were you scared? Like, what, was, what were the other disciples doing? Like, who was standing in front of who and who was pushing each other forward? And was Jesus calm or was he anxious? Or like, how did you, When you're feeding the 5,000 and you got given one of those baskets to walk around in the crowds and just hand out the food... Like, were you mesmerised by, like, was the basket full and overflowing and could you pick it up? Was it heavy? How much food did everyone get? Did they get a lot, a little? Was it like put something on their tongue and then they were full? Or was it like this feast that they had everything left over? I just try to imagine these questions. (laughs) Because what it does is it helps it come to life for me. And how many know the Bible is true? And the Bible is alive. So don't get me wrong, these stories are etched in his mind and in his heart. But when it comes to writing this book of 1 John, something's burning in him. And it's not those stories. Everyone wants to know stories. And just like I loved hearing my dad's stories, just like I loved hearing Reg's stories of of the beginning of the church, John's got these stories, but he knows it's not the most important thing. So when he puts pen to paper, it's not the most important thing that he writes. So I want to take a look. Oh, hang on I've got to say this he ends the gospel of John the last verse in the gospel of John John twenty-one twenty-five. now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written I mean how cool is that I mean if that doesn't sort of say oh well there's enough here there's enough content <laughs> we don't need to look any further But in 1 John 1, 1, 1 1-4, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which to you... Uh, sorry, which was the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write these to you. We write this to you to make our joy complete. What John's saying is, the truth, I've seen him. I've walked with him, I've sat down with him, I've had conversations with him, I've touched him, I've watched him, I've learnt from him, I know him, I was there with him. So when I write these words, I have some credibility for you to understand that I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's not a book that I read, it's not an online course that I did, it, I didn't sign up to you know, Alpha Crucis, I've got nothing against Alpha Crucis, but I didn't sign up to Alpha Crucis, like John's saying, I was there. And it was the son of God. (laughs) 1 John chapter 2, we'll move through, 3 to 6. We know that we have come to him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, he's a liar. John, that's harsh. You can't say that in church. (laughs) But the truth is not in that person. And if anyone obeys his word, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live like Jesus did. John is saying, I'll tell you if you really know the Son of God. I'll see it in your life. I'll see it. It, It'll have an outpouring. It'll show itself it will show itself because you have a genuine desire to obey God and you have a genuine desire to love (laughs) 1 John 3 16 18 16 to 18 this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought lay lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on them How can he love God? How how can the love of God be in that person? Oh dear children, let us not love with words and speech, but with actions and truth. I know you touched on this last week, Andrew. Um, I listened to your message. Joe and I were away celebrating 28 years of marriage, which is pretty cool. She knows how to love. But... uh, (laughs) Sorry, I sidestepped that. I'll come back onto my notes. That wasn't in my notes. (laughs) I'll get distracted. Um, I heard it put this way by Pastor Andy Stanley from North Point Community Church in Atlanta. He puts it this way. Your devotion to God is illustrated, demonstrated and authenticated by your love for others. I'm going to read that one more time. Your devotion to God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by your love for others. Okay, we'll move forward into 1 John 4, 7 to 11. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And he is made and his love is made complete in us. And then into nineteen. There's a lot of scripture tonight, but hey, it's truth. <laughs> yeah, 1 John 4, 19 to 21. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. There it is again. You can't say that, John. We're in church. <laughs> but for For whoever does not love their brother or sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. When I was preparing this, just a moment of honesty, I was really convicted. (laughs) I was really challenged. That's all I'm going to say, but... I just want you to know that I'm not up here. I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to you, you know. And what we see is over and over and over again, John writes this theme, this this almost like roundabout. We've got to love God. We've got to love others. We need to love God. We need to love others. Our love for God will be shown in how we love others. And it's like, wow, I just, you get the impression that it must have been really pressing on him, yeah? Yeah. And in John 2, well, sorry in Second John, it's exactly the same. I'm not writing you anything new. It's the same. It's simply love God and love others. Don't search for anything new. Be careful searching for anything new. But you know why is this the central theme for John? I really had to think this through, you know because you go back and you think, well, 60 years, it's been 60 years thereabouts. And he is now understanding more about who God was, who God is, and he's understanding more about his time with Jesus, much more, because he gets to reflect. And in the same way, we get to reflect Hartford's house and some of the things that we've learned about the beginnings of this church and about the good things God has done in this church, not just in my life, but I'm confident in everyone's life, in one way or another. So why is John why is this pressing on him if he's able to reflect what's he seeing he was in the room 60 years earlier or thereabouts he was in that room with Jesus that last night that last night before Jesus went to the cross we call it the last supper you'd probably seen pictures of Jesus with a yellow light frisbee behind his head and six guys this way and six guys this way sitting at a table the most ridiculous setting for a hangout but makes a good picture so but he was in the room you know like let that just sink in that's why he can then 60 years later go oh yeah this is the most important thing this is all you need to know I'm just going to write this again you know, I'm not going to write you another 50 miracles that happened that I didn't, couldn't fit into the first book that I wrote. I'm not going to tell you anything new. I'm just going to come back to this core thing. John 13, 3 to 5. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from his meal He took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. When I see that image, you know like to walk into that home, to go upstairs to that last supper the disciples still at this point aren't fully aware of what's happening and you can tell that later on because of some of the questions that they come up with they're not fully aware you know but this image that I get like it's a servant's job to wash people's feet these guys have walked in from town. They've come along a dirt track. The, their feet are dusty. They didn't have boots. They had sandals, most of them, I'm sure. The sandals would let all sorts of dirt and dust and grime and, you know, chicken poo and cow poo and horse poo and who knows what other poo, you know. And their feet would have been filthy. Now that was that was typical. So it wasn't like you know, if you walked into my home like that, I'd say, get out. No, <laughs> I wouldn't. Know. But But the disciples were so keen to get upstairs and so keen to shuffle into their position so that they could be closest seated to Jesus in this last meal, because they thought that was important. That they overlooked stopping at the door to wash their feet. And they get down, uh, sorry, and the person, typically the homeowner, would have had a section near the front door with a bowl, a towel, something you could have got down on your hands and knees as you walked in, take your sandals off, clean your feet. But the disciples were all in such a hurry and they knew that if anyone if anyone got down to clean their feet the other disciples would be like hey do mine too would you you know so no one wanted to do it so jesus gets up and he goes around the table and he cleans each and every one of their feet jesus comes from heaven you've got to get this he comes from heaven to walk amongst us. So he leaves his throne, his kingdom, and he comes down to earth to our level. He gets down to our level. I mean, that in itself is incredible, but it doesn't stop there. Then he gets down. I shouldn't do this. (laughs) He gets down on his knees in front of these guys who don't have a real clue who he is, and he washes their feet. He puts, them, he puts himself in a position of a servant. Can you see the transition? Kingdom, heavenly kingdom, eternal kingdom, then down earth, and then down in front of the disciples, and their dirty feet, their stinky feet, and he washes them. To me, that's just, every time I see that, it blows my mind. John thirteen twelve to 17, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on the clothes and had returned to his place. And he says, do you understand what I have done for you? And there was silence. I bet you none of the disciples were going to say anything at that point. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And John was there. John heard this teaching. John had his feet washed. By an eternal king. (laughs) Like, are you getting this? (laughs) And John was there and John's now had this opportunity to reflect. He's reflecting, right? We're coming back to the first John, the letter of John, 60 years. He's the last of the disciples and he's having this moment of reflection, of understanding who Jesus is. And he thinks back to that night And he thinks back to that table setting. And he thinks back to all the disciples and their responses as Jesus washed their feet. And he has this momentary, light bulb moment. Judas was there. Judas was there. John sees it in his mind. He's like, oh, I can remember. And Judas is the, and he puts the pieces together. And he goes, oh my gosh. Judas was there and Jesus got down on his knees and washed Judas' feet. And Judas is the one that portrayed him. It's all coming back. It's all coming back to John, you know? And what have I got here? When Jesus kneeled down to wash John's feet, that's what John, that's what John remembered. <laughs> he watched as Jesus kneeled down to clean Judas's feet too. John heard the new commandment of Jesus and he saw the object lesson. And 60 years later, it's all he can write about. We must love God and we must love others. It's one of the commands, it's like the greatest command when Jesus was confronted. To, you know, tell us, teacher, what's the greatest command? Well, I can't give you one. I can sort of give you two tied into one. It's love God, love others. Oh, it's easy to love others, though, isn't it? When everyone is agreeing with me. No trouble at all. If everyone agrees with me, it's great. But what about the people that don't agree with me? What about those people? And when we look at the life of Jesus, there is not a boundary, there is not an ethnicity, there is not a sexuality, there is not a lifestyle. There is not a medical status, there is not anything that stopped Jesus from crossing over and showing love. So hours before Jesus goes to the cross, he gives them this new command. And they're going to know, they're going to know you are followers of Christ. Not by where you go on the weekend, but by how you love. Like I said, man, I was so challenged by this word. You're going to remain in me. Jesus says that in the upper room. Remain, 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 I think he says it 11 times. Remain in me. Be connected to the source of light and of love. You're going to remain in me and you're going to be obedient to me. And that obedience is going to produce love for others. And God is going to give us the Holy Spirit to make that love possible because in my life and yours, there are undoubtedly people that do not deserve love. But with the power of the Holy Spirit within us, that's how we love. And I just want to end with this quote by Charles Spurgeon who put it this way. The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul so often I forget where God's brought me from what God saved me from the rubbish and the the detestable things in my life that God has gone it's all good I'm going to forgive you I'm going to send my son who's going to be an atoning sacrifice for you and for you and for you and you and you and you and you and everyone in this room and everyone on the face of the earth that whosoever believeth in him (laughs) will have eternal life. Lord God, help us to be your church. Help us to shine your light Help us to show your love. Help us to be who you want us to be. And you're